Welcome to Conversations with the Best Minds in Real Estate, a podcast hosted by RCL Co. Real Estate Advisors, the show that brings you illuminating interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders throughout all corners of the real estate sector. Each episode will feature different masters in real estate, revealing challenging lessons they've learned, their secrets to success, and opinions regarding the state of the market. This is Joshua Bourne, Director of Business Development at RCLCO Real Estate Advisors. If you're a regular listener to our podcast, then you know that since 1967, RCLCO has been the first call for real estate developers, investors, the public sector, and non-real estate companies seeking strategic and tactical advice regarding property investment, planning, and development. Welcome to the latest episode of Conversations with the Best Minds in Real Estate. Today, I'm talking to Gary Moser, Principal and Co-Founder of George Smith Partners. Founded in Los Angeles in 1992, George Smith Partners is a leading national provider of capital market services to the commercial real estate industry. Their diverse and innovative structuring expertise, vast lender knowledge and relationships, and everyday market experience enables GSP, as they're known, to customize financing for properties ranging from $3 million to $350 million, including highly leveraged participating debt and joint venture equity. In 2019, George Smith Partners placed $3.5 billion in debt, preferred equity, mezzanine sub debt, and joint venture equity through 200 plus transactions. Big year. The firm's total financings have exceeded $58 billion since the formation of George Smith Financial in 1979. More than 50% of the firm's annual financings are from transactions and markets outside of California. Gary, thanks so much for joining us as one of the best minds in real estate. It's nice to have you. Thank you, Josh. You might be a little biased after being in my uh, ULI group for the young leadership group, being my being your mentor. Yeah, you stole my thunder. I was going to say this is a, a special one for me to be able to interview you as somebody I've looked up to and formerly had as a mentor through that ULI partnership forum. And we'll talk about that and your mentorship in general a little bit later. But uh, but I'm glad I get to uh, sit here and pepper you with some questions today and let let everybody know what I know about you, which is. Uh, both how great you are and how, how important you've been in the industry. So uh, with that in mind, I'd love if you could maybe just to start, give a brief description of your professional work history and how you kind of got to where you are today, Gary. Uh, Josh is from Michigan. That's why I went to the University of Michigan. I studied computer science and mathematics. Uh, worked for a couple of years in the business arena, uh, doing like mergers and acquisition software and economic forecasting. I went back to graduate school, got an MBA in finance and MS in real estate. Uh, worked in as a mortgage uh, banker in Chicago for Capital Realty, and then joined George Smith and Grubb and Ellis back in 1986. We founded George Smith uh, Partners in 1992, but George Smith and different iterations of the partners have been around since 1969. Uh, so started as an analyst, worked my way up. Uh, the latter, as a, we had the thing called placers, solicitors and placers. The placers had exclusive lists of lenders that we tried to place it with our people. We competed with each other. And then the solicitors would bring in the business. In 1992, after the recession, we bought ourselves back from Gravenelis. And I started doing both sides of the deal. Uh, originating deals and then placing them myself. By uh, 1999, I was doing about half the company's business and they named me the CEO. But I changed my title back to co-founder and manager director principal because I thought it was better because you know more quality as everybody wants right now. 
There we go. Well, I love all the Midwest ties and yeah, thanks for the Michigan call out. And I think like many of our viewers here uh, who know our CEO, Gotti, who worked his way all the way up through our CLCO also, it's great to hear you have a kind of similar story. But even before that, what what got you into real estate itself? I mean, what, what made you choose real estate as a field? I've always loved uh, real estate, but when I went to graduate school, I asked the dean what was the, the best programs there. And they said, oh, accounting. I said, that was a little dry. The real estate program was amazing. There's a professor named Grasscamp who was became one of my mentors and a finance program. Back then in the uh, early 80s, the tuition was 600 a semester. So I decided to do two masters so I could stay a little longer at Wisconsin. And I fell in love with real estate finance. Nice. And you mentioned, you know, by the time you were in 1999, uh, you know, appointed CEO, you were doing maybe 50% of the company's business. How, how do you, I know you're still that busy. You always seem to be on your go. You're touching all these different things that I hear about. How do you prioritize your time and choose which projects to pursue or which relationships to focus on now? Uh, we have some really incredible uh, partners in the firm. So I'm not at, doing as much business as a percentage I used to do. Um, I really try to prioritize by finding the right people. I found out that I used to be in the transactional business, now I'm in the relationship business. And creating these strategic relationships is the most uh, important today uh, in the capital markets. So what I'm really prioritizing my time is finding people that really want and need relationships, and they're not considering me as a broker as a transactional relationship. So we're really trying to spend the time not only building relationships with uh, the sponsors, but also with the sources of capital, the debt and the equity. So I really prioritize my time trying to understand uh, who the decision makers are and what the what separates, what the value proposition of each uh, person on either side of the table is. So that's where I'm really spending my time is really understanding what the value proposition that the client brings to the table and what different lenders or investors are bringing to the table. Yeah, and, I, and that's something I've always appreciated about you, myself being in business development and really kind of focusing on strategic relationships and you know, servicing the client and how to build that out, thinking about the lifetime value of a client versus necessarily a one-off transactional deal or something like that. And it sounds like that's one of the many things that's changed in your business in the last 10 years or so, but are there other things that you've seen or how are those changes affecting your business for the future, do you think? I think we're trying to work a lot smarter now than we did 10 years ago. Every day you, you, you see opportunities come across the table and saying no is sometimes the best use of your time. Our job is managing people's expectations. And I really look and see what the, the, the capital markets have to offer and what the, the client is looking to offer. And I'm trying to figure out if there's an intersection of those two if, so we can have a transaction because I'm completely on a contingent uh, fee. So I'm always trying to qualify what we can and cannot do. I try to go to the edge because the capital markets are changing. But I think the biggest uh, thing is saying no to marginal deals. And that's really hard because I'm a deal junkie. I have people that work with me on my team and I'm the kite and they're the string. And they're saying, Gary, you know, name the three guys you're going to go to to get that deal done. Make some you know calls up front to make sure that we really can transact. And I think spending that time on the upfront, really understanding the transaction, really understanding the acceptance of the capital markets is really what's changed is that you can really get a good feel on the marketplace because there's a lot of information out there. Yeah, and and that all that information and and those relationships. I mean, I don't. We didn't talk about this in detail and, and prep leading up, but I'm curious. I mean, has technology played a major role in sort of managing that as well, or is that all still in your head from the you know many years of experience, or how have you sort of found your way to continue to dive in and, and hone in on the relationships and say no to those marginal deals? 
I, you can't keep it all in your head. It's all about relationships, like I said before. So, for example, I have a transaction that I thought was really good, but we needed to have it validated. So I called up Josh and I hired RCL Co to do the feasibility study because a lot of times I just don't know if a deal is feasible and I have to have that third party validation to make sure that we have the ability to have that credibility in the marketplace. So it's not always having the right answers, knowing where to find it. Sometimes I'm calling appraisers, sometimes I'm calling brokers, sometimes I'm calling you know, companies like RCL sort of the feasibility, but you know, you really have to be out there. We're an information-based uh, system nowadays, and people want to make decisions and informed decisions. So, you know, we were always understanding what the the sales comps are, what the rental comps are, what's happening with supply and demand, what are the demand drivers, you know, who are the employers, and what's really driving the deals. We're spending a lot more time up front doing that because. The lenders and investors want to, I want them to be able to make an informed decision that can stick. So we have to increase our certainty of execution. So all this data, through all the databases, we have like seven or eight databases. You know, we have our RCA and CoStar, and I think it's Reese or Axiometrics now, get rid of Reese. And, you know, we have five or six databases. We're constantly looking to see what the mass data is, but it's really that human intelligence. It's, you know, with your client walking the, the marketplaces, you know, calling the different buildings to find out what's happening right away, seeing what the parking lots are full, and that human intelligence is really what makes a difference in the, the business nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, it's incredible how you can't replace having that rapport or in-person experience and kind of knowledge. And, and even for me, I, I think I like to blend a little bit of the personal and work relationship because I want people to know who I am and be authentic, obviously, when we speak. And with that, I, you know, you've been a lot like that with your mentorship groups and things like that. Do you want to share a little bit here, maybe with our audience about your personal life, just you in general, maybe what you do outside of work? Well, um, I like to work hard and play hard. And uh, one of my core values is lifelong learning. So I'm always taking classes. I just recently finished my 12th uh, week at Harvard uh, doing you know, business through uh, this group called YPO, Young know, Presence Organization, because I'm always trying to find out from the best minds how I can learn. I'm a big reader, but not only do I like to take, I like to give back. So I'm really involved in mentorship. This will be my 14th year and the Young Leadership Group at ULI uh, mentoring people under 35. And I learned so much from the young people. It's almost selfish that I get to mentor these people because I learned about you know, what's going on with you know, the cutting edge at, at the people that are developing and going to be the future leaders. That's why I met Josh. And I've had other people, Derek, who's also at RCL Co. And I've had three other people that were at RCL Co. as my mentees over the last 14 years. And I learned as much from them as they learned from me because even more probably because there's you know, 10 to 14 of them and just me. Uh, so I'm taking a lot of classes, racing sailboats, uh, recently married, have uh, you know, two great kids and a uh, great stepson, work hard and play hard. We try to exercise, we're on a 10-mile bike ride this weekend, but instead of going out and riding hardcore, we rode neighborhoods, because I thought it's a lot more fun really seeing what's happening in the neighborhoods and the dynamics of the neighborhoods. You know, you can't get the real estate out of out of the play, right? So you still, still you know, if you can overlap them even better and Maybe it's worth digging in a little bit more because I know I've been very grateful for you to being that mentorship role. And ULI is obviously very, very important to me. And some of the groups or names of folks that you mentioned here, RCLCO. RCLCO has also been very involved in Urban Land Institute. But what what got you involved maybe first with ULI and then second with 
mentorship, or maybe those can be reversed depending on how many other things you do outside of ULI. But you know, were, did you have a mentor that that made you want to give back, or what's what's made you focus on that over all these years? You know, my dad died when I was a young kid, and I always tried to find strong uh, leaders that people were uh, example setters. So, example, in my real estate program in grad school, Professor Grasscamp was not only a great professor. He was on the ULI board of trustees. He was on Solomon Brothers board. He ran an appraisal firm. He was a quadriplegic. Somebody that leads by example. When I asked him, you know, what's it like being, you know, uh, disabled, he says, I don't, I'm not disabled. I just have a materials handling problem. So just that perspective. Um, when I joined George Smith Partners, you know, I was really attracted to the opportunity because George was uh, another person that loved to give back to the community and give back to the people in his organization. And part of my management style is that, you know, the two-way street, the more you give, the more you get. So I've always loved working with people and growing people. I recently had two people on my team who are incredibly talented break off from our team and start another team within George Smith Partners. And, you know, it's hard to replace them, but I'm so proud of them because they're, you know, they're, they're, I've, I've grown these people to be really self-sufficient. ULI, as in all the organizations, I'm very involved in the, in the professional organizations, uh, ICSC, uh, ULI, NAIOP, NMHC, you know, all these different organizations. You know, you really have you know, people that really care about the industry and, you know, I can learn from them, they can learn from me because I think the best way somebody can do their job is through having experience and they can relate to the people they're working with. So if I'm really doing industrial deals, if I spend many hours with people in industrial, I can much more relate to what's going on with them. So I really try to keep my hand on the pulse of what's going on with each of the industries through the, the professional association. Yeah, you're, it's, it's extremely impressive. I mean, you know, I, I try to do my best to, to jump around to a lot of those that you just listed as well. And, you know, I'm curious for, for guys a little younger like myself who feel like it can be a struggle. Do you have any work-life balance tips? I mean, how do you, how do you stay so involved with so many groups and, and, you know, stay up, stay so on top of everything? One of the things I wasn't that balanced, you know, I work way too much. But I think that you have to set your priorities. And if you, if, if you, when you work that hard, you know, you have to have that quality time with your clients and you have to bring something to the table. And if you can bring that knowledge base, you're that much more attractive to them. But balancing, calling on people, working on deals, going to all the professional associations, having my, the charities I'm involved in, having a family, you know. Sometimes, you know, sleep, you know, is the, the thing that comes up short. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, you, and you talked about those priorities and, you know, what are some of those things that are so important to you in your life? I mean, you mentioned a few, but maybe elaborate a little. Well, I mean, you know, family life is really important. You know, when I was a workaholic, you know, I didn't spend enough time at home. And then when I finally realized, you know, the kids were getting a little older and I hadn't spent enough time with them, they were little that, listen, you know, there's only so many hours in the day and I have to literally budget how much is family time, how much is work time, how much is play time, how much is exercise time, how much is Gary time. And it's very difficult, but if you don't budget it, um, it's not going to happen. And I find that writing things down and actually scheduling date night with my wife and scheduling, you know, family time with the kids and, you know, scheduling time to make the priority is the only way you can do it. Otherwise, you know, the day will get away from you because the phone doesn't stop ringing and the deals don't start stop coming in. I agree. I, I, I found the same thing, especially in the last, you know, however many months or so, while we're all kind of stuck in different places, the, the need to, to create routine and really keep things in calendar has been, been critical. So, 
I'm sure business has changed for you a little bit and your lifestyle's changed a little bit as well. I know you used to do a lot of in-person events. Are you finding yourself more on the phone, more on Zooms? I was doing a lot of Zoom and a lot of in-person uh, before, and I'm finding that I'm going a little stir crazy. So I'm starting to do site inspections. I'm starting to do face-to-face uh, -face meetings. Last week, I did three different COVID tests at three different meetings. You know, I, you know, just to be able to prove that, you know, that I am not, I'm COVID free. We're still socially distancing, but having the ability to uh, meet with people and connect, I think is so important. I'm also going into the office a little bit because I think it's really important. You can't build culture and you can't build these relationships unless you're face to face with people. So I'm trying to, uh, to meet with people more than I was in the past. And it's difficult because there's only so many hours in the day. But I just scheduled a uh, site inspection this morning in uh, Bozeman, Montana. Next week, I'm going to San That's two weeks. And next week, I'm going to San Diego. Because this thing is really important that relationships are not built over phones and over Zoom. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And, you know, it's there's elements that you just can't, you know, recreate. I like to call it, you know, into, you know, osmosis of intelligence being able to walk up to you at a conference, Gary, and see who, you, you know, whoever you're talking to. Now I'm learning about another deal and hearing something. And I got an introduction to somebody who may know somebody else who walks up to me and I can say hello to you. So you're, it's, it's harder to do that, obviously, than we than, than previously. So, you know, uh, it's good to hear you're finding ways to keep busy and keep the clients in mind. And, you know, with that, I guess, you know, what, what advice would you give for younger folks again, or anyone in general who's looking to gain more insight into how to be successful right now? And just in general, how to maybe even get into the real estate industry and become a better leader if they're already in the real estate industry right now. As I always said in our uh, ULI mentorship program, it's about the network, it's about the people. We're in the relationship business. So get to know your peers, get to know people in your industry. You know, it can either go very wide, like I am with doing finance of every property, or I can just be an industrial guy and just work on industrial. But just become the subject expert, whatever you're doing. Read, go to meetings, you know, network with people, and really, you know, get very deep and knowledgeable in that source, you, you're the subject expert. I know that when I need to do something for feasibility, I know who to call them, to call somebody like you know, yourself, Josh or Derek or Gotti, because I know that you guys are the best in class. So you wanna go out and wanna experiment and find out who can do something and then find out who's the best that you connect with. For example, if somebody asked me to refer somebody to a broker for a sale of a property, I don't refer, refer them to one person, I refer them to three people because it's not just expertise, it's also personality. Some people you, you mix well with, some people you don't mix well with. And I'm very aggressive, so some people would rather have somebody more laid back. I have a partner, Steve Graham, who's much more laid back, where I'm much more aggressive. And it's just a lot about personality and what works for the, the person on the other end of the uh, table. So you really have to learn how to communicate with people. Yeah, I think that's right. My goal is always to bring the right person in who match best with, with whom I think the client can work best with. So it's good to hear you're doing that. And I think your advice was something I always stuck in my mind as well about offering those kind of three referrals. As you said, you never know who's going to, you know, fit with whom. And it's nice to give people options. And it seems like you're providing them more of an honest and, and open sort of, you know, uh, approach versus maybe pushing one person, which is great. Um, obviously, I, I, you, you've spoken highly about RC Elko, and I know you turned to us for a lot of great resources, but I'll give you a chance to plug uh, GSP's newsletter as well. You know, where else other than your own and FinFacts should folks uh, 
you know, look to gain more insight into what's happening in the market, what you're doing, who, who are, you know, what are you reading day in and day out? So we do this weekly uh, FinFacts, which was our financial facts. It used to be a facts, F-A-X. We used to fax it out to everybody. Uh, now it's an email thing. And we try to you know, talk about what's happening with interest rates, talk about a couple example deals, and then with some trends in the marketplace. But I think the best place to get the, the trends are from the professional organizations. Uh, these are, you know, and also the, the brokerage firm, you know, but I think that, you know, the, if you're a shopping center guy, get involved in ICS. If you're an industrial guy, get involved in NEIOP, you know, ULI has every type of offering. But really, you know, try to find the information from the people that, you know, are doing it every day. Um, you know, I also try to read the newspapers electronically, but I try to get both perspectives from the right and the left. And because, you know, the, the, the truth is somewhere in between. Because nowadays we're seeing that a lot of these things are echo chambers. But you have to understand what people are listening to and what people are, you know, you know, valuing. You know, I'm not the biggest sports fan, but I know all about the Lakers win and all about the Dodgers win because that's important to certain clients. And, you know, you, you want to become familiar with the people and similar with people you're doing business with. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. You want to be able to find things that you can relate to people on. And so just being kind of jack of all trades and, and knowledgeable in general is certainly going to be helpful. Maybe it's uh, worth going a little deeper on some things that, that aren't as easy to talk about and things like vulnerability. Do you have a, are you open to speaking about maybe what, what's your greatest vulnerability and, and how you sort of compensate for it potentially? That's, a, that's always a good one to ask about. Uh, my vulnerability is that, you know, I always trust everybody. You know, I, I believe everybody... You know, and, and you have to dig down and ask all those hard questions. And, you know, I want to do everybody's deal and I want to make trust everybody. But I've learned through, you know, 35 years of experience that you really have to dig down. You have to check things out. You have to make sure that, you know, what people are saying is actually true. And, you know, when you talk to, to somebody, you want to check them out. And the biggest vulnerability is that trust thing that, you know, I want, I believe in everybody, but I've been burned enough times that now, you know, uh, trust would verify. Yeah, you're a people pleaser. You know, you just can't help it, right? Exactly. All right. How about biggest mistake you've ever made, or maybe most difficult decision you've had to make career-wise? I think you know the biggest mistake is when you're in management is hiring the right people. There's different types of personalities, and sometimes you want to hire someone that's like you. So I'm a outgoing, extroverted, you know, I'm a hunter. I want to go out and make things happen. And sometimes the best person for the role is that Skinner, the person that can sit at the computer and crank out the numbers. And they're much better with a, a lender or investor who's much more conservative. And I think some of the biggest mistakes I've made is I've always gone out and gotten these really aggressive, you know, go-getters and, you know, you know, I train them up and then they move on because that's really not what they want to do is work on my deals. They want to work on their own deals. So you have to invest a ton of time to train someone. It takes, you know, two to five years to become a really great broker. And as soon as you're up and really productive, they're moving on. It's like, I made this huge investment and I know hindsight 2020, you know that you, you hired the hunter when you should have hired the skinner. Yeah, but I think that's also just partly, and it ties back to your mentorship, kind of who you are. You want to give back and teach people who, who need it. Maybe you subconsciously see that they can, can be great and, you know, you let them free after. But uh, sure, it makes yourself more work on yourself to keep training new people. And, you know, not related to any one particular mistake or anything like that, but if you just knowing what you know now, 
would you do anything differently, you know, from some of these past decisions you've made? I think um, uh, I, I grew big organizations. At one point in 07, I had 14 people working for me and I got too far away from the client. And I think that uh, the hindsight's 2020, having fewer clients, having deeper relationships and not trying to be everything to everybody uh, is something that, you know, hindsight's 2020. And if I could do it all over again, I would have stayed a lot closer to a couple of my clients that really grew to be huge uh, uh, sponsors and I didn't stay close enough from other people, you know, aided to my business. So it's always a tricky balance, right? So what uh, what's keeping you up at night right now? I think it's just, there's a lot of uncertainty, you know, you know, when's the next stimulus bill coming out? What's going to happen with COVID? You know, what's going to happen with the world economy? I mean, I think that there's so many things out of your control that can affect our day-to-day life. You know, this the social unrest, you know, all the stuff that you wish you had a control over, but there's just so many factors. And I heard somebody from Blackstone talking and they said, listen, we used to say we have to make a decision and I can, you know, risk weight the two or three decisions because here are the alternatives. I don't even know all the outcomes now, but I can't risk weight the un- unknown. So that's the thing that's keeping me up at night. So I just don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah, uncertainty is always, uh, always tricky in general. And I think for both of our businesses, uh, real estate investors, developers, et cetera, certainly like to know what's around the corner, which, which is why they come to groups like you and I. And once again, you know, you know the, the lenders, a rolling loan gathers no loss. And I think a lot of the lenders, except for the CMBS guys, have really been tolerant with the, the COVID thing. But a lot of them are losing their patience. The regulators coming in. And I think things are going to change a lot. And I don't know how they're going to change and who's going to change. Is it going to be a life company? Is it the banks? Is it going to be the regulators? Is it going to be what's going to be that driving factors and change things? And you know, you do your best every day, but you just don't know. Yeah. So what what questions are you asking yourself lately around that, or or what in general? You know, would you want to talk about right now? What's happening in the markets? That's that's kind of you know where you're focused. Well, I think that whole bid ask between what people expect to happen and, uh, you know, and they're saying, oh, things are going to get really bad. So I'm going to bid lowball everything. And people that are selling saying it's going to get better. And as a result, the transaction volume is is slowed down because that bid ask spread is so wide. And I don't think it's as bad as a lot of people think it is. I don't think it's as good as people think it is. But, uh, you know, maybe in apartments because there's, you know, rates are so low from the agencies, but some places have been overbuilt in class A apartments. And one market, a friend of mine said they give away three months free for a high rise in Chicago. Another uh, friend said that he has rented a place in uh, New York and his rent was 30% of what he thought it was going to be. So you can't paint everything with a single brush. And that's one of the best things about real estate is that, you know, there is differences in markets and this, the right side of tracks, right side of tracks in the same marketplace. And I think that, you know, as things evolve and as we have a little more visibility into the marketplace, I think it's going to more transaction to happen, but I think we're going to have some pain ahead. That's what's really keeping me up at night and making me wonder of how I'm going to do my business differently. Yeah. And, and I mean, obviously every sector is a little bit different, but with that bid ask spread right now, are there certain areas that you are seeing some volume increase again, or there's certain sectors that are jumping ahead or any areas that you're staying away from right now? Right now, the darlings are industrial, multi data centers, storage, you know, things that, you know, are not COVID impervious, but 
you know, that don't have it, are as impacted. So I'm trying to spend time there. I'm getting my phone driven off the hook with hotels and with retail. And we can help with a lot of this stuff, but not all of it. You know, we're finally finding that people are starting to lend on hotels and retail, which is, you know, the exception, not the rule. Uh, the pricing is wide, the proceeds are low, but there is, they're starting to transact and I'm feeling the thaw there. But once again, tomorrow things can change. You know, things are happening so fast with all these unknowns, you know, we just don't know what's going to happen. Are there any niche product types you guys are finding uh, interesting as well? Production space, sports venue districts, anything like that, or still few and far between? Uh, I'm working on a couple of niche deals right now. I'm doing recapitalizing a portfolio of RV park, which are crushing it now because people are traveling locally. Uh, the regulations are changing and we're financing uh, debt and equity on 10 uh, uh, acute or surgery centers ambulatory surgery centers. You know, for example, they have a new, as of January 1st of 2020, you cannot do cardiac procedures in an outpatient setting and heart disease is where a lot of things happen. You know, you go into the heart doctor to have your uh, screening and then they can put a stent in. And so they you know, were starting to open these labs up and there's just not, there's much more demand than there's supply, but it's a very specialized business. So we're trying to figure out wh what the niches are. We're doing a lot of data centers but there's a lot of different types of data centers, you know, uh, you know, we're trying to do it the wholesale, we're trying to do, you know, the, uh, all the stuff in the cloud, you know, it's 5G. So I'm becoming an expert in all these different fields because there are niches where we're trying to find uh, where supply and demand are out of whack, where there's still a lot of value to be created. Sure. And on the hunting side or business development side related to some of those, are, is this you and your team at GSP saying, let's be proactive and get in front of these trends and start researching the players? Or my gut tells me it's probably more relationships that you have bringing these deals to you. Uh, the latter, you know, is the relationship bringing these deals to me. Um, we're not, we're, well, we're personally going out and looking for the industrial, the multi, the storage, the data center, but a lot of the specialty products is coming to me because they know that we're problem solvers. It makes sense. I can imagine some of those sponsors are probably the fun ones. And I know just from some of the anecdotes you've told me over the years and some of the stories that you've shared via your, uh, you know, different organizations and whatnot, or just in general, your client, you know, kind of relationship building, you've had some good stories and some good experiences and a paintball might've been a good one. I don't know if you're willing to share some, uh, some, some of the stories from the front lines. Yeah, I have a client of mine and a very big organization, a lot of multifamily. Uh, we did a big close to big portfolio decided for a, uh, instead of a closing dinner, we go out and play paintball. And some of the guys on the asset management were the quiet guys. They really understood the numbers. Those are the most aggressive guys, not the, the you know, the people who you think would be the aggressors, the acquisition guys would be the aggressors. It was really the, the asset manager guys that had all that frustration from all of those asset guys. Uh, and it take all that energy out somewhere. How'd you fare in, on the paintball field? I did okay. Yeah. Well, I know you're uh, you're open to trying new adventures. You've had some other um, rough and tumble ones, I know. So you're you're definitely a warrior. I be, you know, work hard, play hard. You know, I used to be a rock climber and a mountain bike racer and all that kind of stuff. We sail, race sailboats. So what what haven't I asked you that you'd love to talk about before I I, I leave you with a parting question? Anything we haven't uh, haven't answered or addressed that's burning on your plate right now? I mean. I think that um, we used to have a really hard time getting people into the industry because everybody's going into tech. And, you know, I think that this is an incredible time for people to get into real estate because there's so many opportunities. The market's uh, changing 
And I think that when there's real distress, there's real lot of opportunities. And, you know, cut your teeth when it's down. This is where the fortunes are going to be made. I think this is going to be like an RTC time where I think that this is going to be one of those times where, you know, if everybody's leaving the city and people buy the city and people come back to the city, they're going to make a fortune. You know, people are leaving hotels and also we find a way to uh, function hotels. will be a fortune made in hotels. But I think this is a good time that people um, are, you know, it went from greed to fear to panic. And I still feel a lot of fear in the marketplace because there's a lot of uncertainty. But as soon as it comes back to that greed, I think we're going to see a really hot market for real estate. I think 2021 is going to be a bumpy road, but I think 2022, 2023 is going to be really great. I, I hope you're right. Well, <laughs> I guess we'll uh, we'll see like you said, with what happens here with a bit of all this uncertainty, you know, knowing that, and you've certainly given some great advice to our ULI programs and, and some of your other mentors, any lessons learned or, or final hurting words that you'd like to give to our audience that you think is, you know, worth them dwelling on? I know you've, you've, you've had a few good uh, you know, ethos that you've always shared with us over the years. I, once again, so our business is relationships. And um, we have to always look at the risk-adjusted return, the risk-adjusted return of a deal, the risk-adjusted return of investment, you know, in a new client and a new uh, product type, you know, but make investments in things and people and they'll pay off uh, in spades. Well, Gary, I know you've taught me a lot over the years and it's been an honor for me to be able to ask you some questions now and instead of you calling on me in the audience and having me raise my hand and... and grilling me a little bit. So hopefully our audience found this to be worthwhile. You're definitely one of the best minds I know in real estate. And it's a pleasure to have you on, on the podcast. Thank you, Josh. I really appreciate you inviting me on. And, you know, your company and Gotti are just great people. And they really add a lot of value to my clients. So I'm really glad to be associated with our CL company. Vice versa, Gary. We appreciate the relationship that we have with you guys. And as always, we continue to look to build on that. So thank you for, for joining us. And thanks for continued uh continued good wishes thanks a lot i really appreciate you having me uh on the show and considering me a resource we hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of conversations with the best minds in real estate hosted by rcl co real estate advisors if you are interested in learning more about rcl co go to rclco.com and follow us on twitter at rclco Don't forget to subscribe to new episodes of the podcast and make sure to leave us a rating on iTunes. Thanks for tuning into the show.